A new era is unraveling before us, and conversation, data, and action are our only hope. Join us on Tangent to learn about the future of cities and how entrepreneurs are tackling our present-day challenges. The goal of Tangent is to unite real estate lovers, technology adopters, and creative thinkers that are working towards achieving greater and fairer collaboration for all. Come sit with us and discover how investing in these key initiatives improves our built environment and our communities. We examine interdisciplinary issues through conversations with real estate and tech founders, academia experts, and rising talent. We're going off on a tangent is encouraged. Hi, everyone. This is your Tangent co-host, Jamie Fradkin. I've been working with Edward on our podcast behind the scenes since we launched. And today I'm very excited to be interviewing a fascinating guest, Kendall Hope Tucker. Kendall and I have known each other since we were teenagers. We met attending a small high school in Massachusetts together. And since then, Kendall studied at Columbia and Oxford University and founded her company, Knock, shortly after in 2015. Knock is a technology company that recruits, trains, and guides neighborhood sales reps at scale. And since the pandemic has forced us all to stay inside, Knock has moved toward data sales and opened its internal data platform with ethically sourced, face-to-face, -face, verified contact information on 97% of Americans that's collected from their own outreach and data partnerships. Hey, Kendall, where does this podcast find you? Hey, Jamie, I'm calling in from Boston. Oh, wonderful. Uh, not too far from where we went to school. I know. I need to branch out. <laughs> you know, we, we all have like our favorite states, favorite locales. No, no harm in that. So let's kind of dig into your entrepreneurial journey and learn what Knock is up to. So when your company first started in 2015, it was really quite different from what it is today. It had a different name, a uh, different business model, different clients, and basically a different industry. Uh, so tell us about that journey from political canvassing to home product sales and which elements of your company's original mission still hold true today. Yeah, absolutely. So I started my company at the end of 2015. I had been working in politics since I was a teenager. And I recognized that there was this real need in this space to use data in intelligent ways so that political volunteers, political campaigns could have uh, strong conversations with voters and not just, you know, harass them via different mediums to vote. And so the way the platform started was we aggregated a bunch of different data sources. And then we would say, okay, if you're a volunteer, you can log into our platform, see a map of your own neighborhood. And we'll tell you which doors to knock on to have great conversations about whatever you care about. And so if you went up to someone's door, it would say, okay, Jamie lives here. Jamie really cares about the economy. And then we would give you a script to talk about the economy. And so this was super fun. We ran Polis is what it was called. We ran Polis as a political startup for two political cycles. We worked with a bunch of presidential races. We worked with Beto O'Rourke's campaign down in Texas. Uh, that was a unique challenge, given that they had about 30,000 uh, volunteers every day. So that was really, really fun. But after the 2018 cycle, a lot of corporations started reaching out to us and they said, hey, we see that you have this data platform. Would it be possible for us to use your technology to do door-to-door -door sales? And we had never thought about door-to-door -door sales as really a medium that still existed. But this was super exciting to us that we had built a platform that had value in this other space. So we started exploring it, particularly in the energy space. And we realized there was this, there was this huge gap 
um, where companies, particularly companies that sold large, complex home products, really weren't selling well online. Like they hadn't been Amazonified because it's it's challenging to know how to install solar panels. It's expensive. It's a very stressful life event. And so after that, we decided to pivot the company. We shut down the political arm um, and we started hiring what we called neighborhood representatives. And so neighborhood representatives used our software in a similar way. So they would get what we called a turf. So they'd get an area of their own neighborhood. And we would say, okay, like you can go to Jamie's house. And we think Jamie's going to be interested in fiber. And so they would knock on their neighbor's door. They'd say, hey, I live in this neighborhood too. I use Google Fiber. And then they'd have these great conversations where ultimately the only goal was helping their neighbors get these large home purchases that are difficult uh, to understand. And so that was amazing. Um, we were growing really, really fast pre-COVID. As you can imagine, we've had to make a lot of changes to the program uh, during a pandemic. Uh, but right now we have sales representatives using our technology to do texting and other forms of outreach. And there's still just something really powerful about using data to have better neighborhood interactions. Absolutely. It, it really sounds like um, the common thread in your whole journey is personalization. And of course, that's what data science is all about. You know, we don't want to, we have big data, we have contact information, we have internet searches and other purchase patterns and marketers, including, you know, your own company just want to effectively target, you know, the right people. Uh, so today, you know, Knock really looks more like a company where user data is the product at the core of your operations and your clients aren't really political campaigns, but rather companies in a variety of industries that want to market their products to qualified leads. So you've assembled contact information and consumer models on 270 million Americans, and you recently made that accessible to other companies looking to connect with customers during the pandemic. So the richness of customer data really allows for marketers to efficiently target customers who are a fit for their products, just like, you know, we might see ads on a Google search based on, you know, our preferences and history. So talk us through what it means for your data to be ethically sourced and how Knox outreach combined with those data partnerships that you have from over the years really resulted in this unbelievably wide reaching database. Yeah, totally. So big data, so it's an old buzzword. Um, and it's, it's a term that I feel like leaves a bad taste in people's mouths nowadays. Obviously, in Europe, we have data privacy laws such as GDPR. In the United States, we have the California Protection Act, CCPA, California Consumer Protection Act, CCPA. And we have a tremendous amount of data. Um, we partner with about 100 different data sources to understand who people are. But at the end of the day, what makes our models unique is that we actually ask people for permission and we try to gauge how we can be helpful to people instead of trying to steal people's information online. And it's actually exciting because with these incoming data regulations, consumers should own their own data. They should have the right to be forgotten and they should be able to understand everything that's in their own file. And so the way that we collect data is when a knocker, so a neighborhood sales representative reaches out to you used to be in person, now through other other mechanisms. They introduce themselves. They're generally someone you have some form of a relationship with, so, so your neighbor. And then they say, hey, like, is there anything I can help you with? Anything around your house that you want advice on, help with, et cetera? And then we have people opt in. So quite often we have people in the Boston area saying, you know, I've always meant to get clean energy, but I don't know how. And so then they have these great conversations, they get their TCPA compliance, 
And then we know that we can introduce those people to our partner companies um, to have great conversations. And so we've knocked about 10 million doors and we've built consumer models just based on data that people are comfortable having us share. And so we just feel very confident that with all of our data, we're doing it in an ethical way and not tracking your cookies online or something that would really creep people out. Yeah, I definitely think that sort of transparency and opting in nature of having your data collected is is the feature. And everyone's sort of more aware of how humans are now sort of the product and maybe other people are making money off of them, but it could be used to our advantage as well. On Tangent, instead of sponsored ads, we have Stimulus, where we dedicate a minute of airtime to amplify a small business or nonprofit that is making a difference in their cities. With the arrival of the new year, there's never been a better time to help those around us. The housing crisis worldwide has only been exacerbated by COVID. Estimates suggest there will be around 1 million renters evicted from their homes in the U.S. during the first half of 2021 alone. The Association for Neighborhood and Housing Development, or ANHD, builds community power in New York to create more affordable housing and thriving, equitable neighborhoods for all New Yorkers. As a coalition of community group members across New York City, ANHD uses research, advocacy, and grassroots organizing to support its members, small business owners, and real estate developers. ANHD has a range of impactful projects focusing on private public housing initiatives, mission-driven development, and fair land use. If you would like to learn more and tackle the housing crisis, go to anhd.org slash donate. That's anhd.org slash d-o-n-a-t-e. If you are a small business owner or nonprofit leader who would like your mission featured on our stimulus section, email us at tangentcommunity at gmail.com. And now back with our friend of Tangent. So I, I've, I've myself have been a data scientist for about five years, and I can really attest to the incredible challenges with building a clean database that has rich information for the, like the majority of users that are in there, which means completeness, consistency, uniqueness, um, and data quality and what I call data governance are really essential for meaningful models and predictive analytics. In this space, what kind of challenges has your tech team faced? It's funny, data science is such a sexy career, right? It's like the new thing. Sure. <laughs> um, and I think what people don't realize is the vast majority of data science is data cleaning and making sure that you're setting up your databases for long-term success. And so, I mean, we faced a number of challenges in this space. At first, we let our neighborhood representatives just fill in information either long form or edit information in all sorts of ways. And we realized pretty quickly that that was going to impede data quality and that we needed consistent questions and surveys across customers. So the vast majority of our data inputs are more objective. So it's like on a scale from one to five, how do you feel about this? Or how many cars do you have? Or something that like keeps it on a scale. Because obviously we can do natural language processing, but it's not nearly as accurate as just collecting information in a structured format. We also make edits go through a review process in our backend. So if you change someone's name or something, we have to understand 
why that happened and, and okay it to go back into our master database. And then another huge challenge we have, which I'm sure you've seen, is the, the big data space is extremely incestuous. And so we will get files from partners that are different every month, right? Um, we'll see that they maybe bought data from a bad actor. We have to clean it and verify before it goes into our system. There's some really big data players where we've tested their data at the doors and just found that it, it wasn't good enough to hold up. So there's pretty much constant data challenges to maintaining a file this large and, and to have it be effective. And that's that's part of the secret sauce. Why we do what we do. Right, right. I've been at you know, media, tech, e-commerce companies. And of course, we can control our internal data and how we collect it. But as soon as you bring a third party into the mix, you never, you kind of lose control and oversight. So lots more questions than answers sometimes. Totally. So as as Knock has sort of aggregated all this data on households, you also have a data science group that analyzes the correlation and statistical dependence in the multitude of variables that you have available in your on your customers. So you're able to infer consumer preferences by examining relationships among variables, um, including demographics, land value, and even you know behavioral information about personal interests. So we just talked about how essential it is to get a clean and consistent data before starting an analysis. And the next step is variable or feature selection to build a predictive model. So talk a bit about the spectrum of variables in your data and that are both verified and sort of inferred. And of which of those features have been the strongest indicators in predicting customer intent and product fit through NOC? Yeah, Absolutely. So we have, I think it's about 600 variables on any given person at this point in time. It's everything from your basic demographic information to your credit card history. So how many loans have you taken out? What's your approximate income? That sort of thing. We actually just got a new partnership with uh, a real estate uh, data company. So a lot of information now on your mortgage, if you have a second mortgage, like when your last payment was, that sort of thing. And then we go back to our roots, which is the political side of it. Um, and we use political polling to understand what people care about, um, what their consumer values are. So do they want to save money on a deal? Do they prefer a great value deal? Anything like that. And then we have a lot of information uh, from expressed interest online. So do you have a dog or a horse? Do you go running? That sort of thing. And those are all really interesting. And what we do on top of those is, is build models like, like you express. And you asked what's the most impactful. And I will say the basic data is probably the most impactful in terms of correlation. Because obviously someone who you know, is struggling during COVID or, or doesn't have much income or much net worth is not going to be able to pay more money for solar. But what we try to be mindful of is these data points are used heavily across every company you can think of, but they don't tell the full story. And I think they often get very close to being discriminatory. Um, and I think there are a lot of problems right now in the digital space where people who need something like community solar or need more efficient uh, or cheaper Wi-Fi are not getting those offers because companies shy away from it. And so we've added a lot of color for our partners to help them to understand who their ideal customers are and to make sure that they're not discriminating and making their offers. 
And so a fun example is we work with the largest energy retailer in the country. And they came to us a few years ago and they said, hey, here's our customer file. Can you run it against your own data file and let us know who we should be reaching out to in the future? And this isn't a fantastic way to decide who to reach out to in the future because your customers might just be your customers because you've always been marketing to them, right? Like you're certainly not going to discover new things. Um, but what we found in their in their customer file was that the top four variables that correlated were pretty obvious. It was people with certain income levels, living in certain towns with certain education levels. I don't remember what those were. But the fifth variable that was very highly correlated was that people who were willing to switch their energy providers were also people who were strongly supportive of casinos. And casinos are a hotly contested political topic in, in most states. And what we found was that people who were willing to take a risk at casino to make a higher reward were also willing to take a risk. They could choose a different type of energy and get a higher reward, whether that be clean energy or saving money or what have you. And so this is a super exciting variable for them to find because it wasn't just the usual, like, go talk to highly educated people who have high incomes. And so what they did was they actually changed a bunch of their marketing spend away from cinemas, so movie theaters, and they changed it to casinos. And this, so this all took place in Illinois, um, and it drove a lot of value, and it just showed them that there are different ways to segment and understand their customers other than just like your standard demographics. Very, very interesting. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I, I always like to think of data science as a little bit of like psychology and math combined. Like, you know, you want to know how people think and you might assume people make decisions on their home products by what they can afford or where they live, but there's so many, so much else going on. Totally. And especially products like this where people don't necessarily know that they have an option or they don't know if they're going to be able to afford it, or it's just so complicated. And that's why you have to go in with the right script and the right person talking to them and being understanding. Because it's, it's just not something that you can re read a few reviews on Amazon and fully understand what your goals are. And they're big, big purchases, maybe long-term ones. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you really specialize in marketing home products for every need, strong partnerships with industries in insurance, landscaping, telecommunications, security, solar, smart home, um, just to name a few. And for about a year, you know, Americans have been confined to their homes. Our homes have transformed into our offices, uh, schools and playgrounds. So many Americans maybe have become more frugal in an uncertain economy and others maybe are investing in adapting homes to their new needs. And I'm wondering since the pandemic, which products uh, within the verticals you specialize in have grown in sales and maybe which have declined? We're definitely seeing an increase in overall home, home spending, quite a large increase in overall home spending. I mean, you think about when the stimulus bill came out in April, like people had money that they were using to fix their homes. We're seeing that people want more home security systems because they're in their homes all the time. And that suddenly feels more important. There were protests this summer that some people were definitely buying security systems because they read about it. Energy has not been doing particularly well this summer, excuse me, this year. I don't know if that's pandemic related. It might just be because the price of gas is so cheap right now that people aren't really looking for alternatives. And so smart home products are way up. Home security is way up. Energy is down. Home construction is way up. It's so far up that it's actually uh, 
most contractors are, are pretty full for the next year in terms of like, they're not really focused on sales, but overall, I mean, the economy's doing well and understand that a lot of Americans are not doing well, but in terms of people making purchases, it is up. Oh, I, I, I just read actually that Home Depot had one of their best quarters in like 20 years because whether whether you're hiring a contractor or doing a DIY project, we've got extra time on our hands and we want our homes to be more beautiful and more fitted to our families or, or whatever, you know, might be happening in there. So 100%. Sounds like I mean, that's why Wayfair so hot right now. Um, we're trying to get contractors at our house and they're like, we can book you for next summer. They're doing well. So you did, you know, we talked about your pivot to open your data platform uh, once the pandemic forced, you know, you can no longer have neighborhood reps going, having conversations face to face. And now the neighbors that you're helping are other businesses. And I really feel monetization of data is absolutely where so many industries, so many companies are focused. And not only are you paving the way and, you know, uh, getting an early start on that, but the breadth of coverage that you have seems incredibly valuable. And since you've opened up this database, who are your primary customers? And is this a revenue stream that you plan to keep continuing once, you know, your neighborhood reps can go out again? So we opened up our data file to some of our partners who we trusted um, knew that they would use the data in ethical ways that we could stand behind. And it was really to support them in terms of figuring out other methods of communication during a rough time. Um, at this point, we are much more focused on using our data for its original purpose, which is supporting neighborhood representatives or sales representatives, however we're going to call it in the future, using it so that they can have great conversations that make consumers happy. And so our focus has been on pivoting the software to support other forms of outreach. We don't think that even post-vaccine, people are going to be extremely excited to talk in person with their neighbors. But there is still this value of knowing someone having a shared experience that we think is valuable. And so we'll be utilizing that via chat, text, email, phone. Um, and we've already started testing this uh, with one of our partners, and it's going really well. Great. So in, in this adaptation to a world where an employee's physical location doesn't really prohibit them from joining your team and they could, you know, engage in with neighbors through text and calling and, you know, a sales force like that. How do you anticipate scaling up that team? And can you tell us just anything more about the new infrastructure that you'll your neighborhood reps will have? So obviously we used to scale up our neighborhood reps based on geos. Um, our neighborhood reps would meet at least once a week to get pumped and talk about their wins and talk about how to do better and that sort of thing. It doesn't feel nearly as necessary uh, for the geographies to be like that in the future. We've seen neighborhood reps meeting on Zoom and really loving that because they don't have to travel. Uh, that being said, for a lot of these large home purchases, they are fairly geographically based. If you think about energy, like the energy provider I have in Massachusetts is different than someone would have in Maine. And there's a lot of that sort of thing. Uh, and we do want people to be reaching out to their neighbors. Like we just, it doesn't feel genuine to have a sales rep reaching out from a different part of the country because they're not going to understand your needs. They're not going to be able to speak eloquently about what you actually care about. And so we will still be growing uh, geographically. It just might be a little bit bigger because people won't need to come into the office. Got it. Very interesting. And I, I guess I kind of agree that if I got a text or a call from someone who lived in my city, I'd be more receptive than someone in another state. <laughs> 
Totally. And, and it's even better if, if they get to say, Hey, Jamie, I spoke to your neighbor yesterday. They signed up for fiber. Are you interested? And you might be like, yeah. Or it's like, Hey, the construction vehicle is actually here this week. So if you need something fixed around your home, it's 50% cheaper. And that's a totally different conversation. And so there are still economies of scale by doing it on a smaller level. Great. So uh, we're wrapping up here and I want to introduce our final segment called the discomfort zone. And we'd like to challenge you to share an experience you've had that has helped you change your mind about a previously believed idea. This could be, you know, in your company or your schoolwork, your personal interests, just something you could share with our listeners. What a fascinating question. I feel like I change my mind all the time. I feel like the mark of a the mark of an inquisitive person in general, I, I do think inquisitive people end up being not smarter because that feels like it's something you're born with, but like more informed is having a viewpoint on the world. But when faced with data that contradicts it, you're willing to learn and change. And I think as an early stage founder, I've just recently been looking at some documents from when I started the company. And it's crazy that I, like everything that I didn't know and now looking back five years later, and we've hired probably a hundred people, like, I mean, just my whole worldview has changed. And so, I mean, the most obvious one to me is that I started this as a political company and I started it as a political company, mostly because I only really knew about politics. It's what I studied in college. It's what I did for my jobs in high school and college. And I really thought that that was the way that I was going to change the world was by making political campaigns better. Um, but when I got reached out to by these corporations and started working with them, I realized that corporations potentially have a bigger impact on our lives than politicians do. And you can argue that, but they certainly have a very large, a large effect on our lives. And it's becoming very faceless corporations. So you buy something off Amazon and it's great and it shows up, but if it shows up wrong, there's no one you can call about that. And if you're confused uh, and you're online, it just, it feels like we're increasingly becoming disconnected from where we're purchasing things. And I found that there's just this huge desire to feel that connection on a human level. And so it didn't need to be about people's voting habits, but I got much more passionate about people's spending habits and just fostering connection in a less divisive way. And so, yeah, I mean, leaving politics behind in 2018 was tough in a way, but I've liked this a lot better. I really love that uh, answer. And I think you, the way that you sort of put a positive spin on contacting people and just getting them to, you know, make their homes the best that they can be is um, a really noble mission. I mean, myself, I work for Etsy and we're all about, you know, keeping commerce human and just uh, helping small businesses grow and, and connecting buyers and sellers so that everyone's really more aware of um, who they're purchasing from and what they're purchasing. So that's wonderful. I love that. I think it takes it takes less effort and you have a better life if you're just kind or you lead with kindness. 100%. Yeah, I think that's what we're missing to some extent in politics and in, in corporate work nowadays. And so that's what we're trying to build. Awesome. Last but not least, Kendall, uh, where can our listeners find you and Knock? We are at knock.com, K-N-O-Q.com. And our social media, you can find on there. My personal Twitter, which I just started playing with, is uh, Kendall H, as in Hope, Tucker. So that's Kendall H. Tucker. 
Wonderful. Kendall, thank you once again for being here with us today. Very, very interesting insights around the value and incredible power of data. We're so impressed with your work. Know our listeners will really appreciate hearing from you and be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's it for today. If you like what you heard, please share the Tangent podcast with a friend. Thanks for listening to Tangent. And remember, collaboration is our superpower as a species. So stay curious and always be learning.